welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Today, I wasn't planning on teaching. We're Actually, Bill was supposed to teach up until this morning at 5 a.m., but last night I texted Bill and I just sensed that I should preach and I, had, I didn't have anything that I felt I should preach. And Bill prayed, and I prayed. And he said, why don't you do it? I said, thanks, Bill. And, um, <clears throat> and then at 5, I just woke up. And I have something that's something I've shared before. But I just felt, in, as, we, I've, I, as I've been listening to the, the stories of our church and where um, we've been, I just feel like this is an important follow-up from last week um, in regards to things that are important to us as followers of Jesus in the season of Advent. Um, and, and kind of oddly enough, it kind of reflects this conversation I had with my son yesterday when we, I, I made this deal that he could watch a Christmas show or movie um, after he ate a good dinner. I was basically bargaining with him after he ate a good dinner and got ready for bed. And I said, then you can watch you know, a Christmas show. And so we are going through what Christmas shows he wanted to watch. And I said, why don't we watch The Star, which is like this story of like Jesus's birth from, told from the animals. I don't know if you've seen it on Netflix. It's streaming. It's pretty cool. From a donkey, yeah. And he's like, that's not a Christmas story. And I was like, oh, whoa, time out, kid. He's like, well, we, I want one with Santa Claus. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> you're five and you're already seduced by this prevailing culture. And I realized that's exactly what we're dealing with. And so I don't know where you fit, but the question I want to ask and kind of answer is I've just been slowing down. I've been off social media. I've been slowing down. I've been just looking and have more space to observe. But how do we as the church live as a redemptive presence in a culture that perpetuates an unhealthy relationship to money, possessions, and wealth? Um, obviously, we consume more than any other time in the, the, this month. This is a time where our, our economic interest just increases, and there's over $450 billion spent in the U.S. alone. And there's not, I'm not going to make judgment calls on this, but I do want to look at the scriptures and present some, some alternate perspective from, from those of us that follow Jesus. And so um, nothing is perhaps more of a threat to our total discipleship to Jesus than money and possessions. And I want to talk about that. So Jesus talks more about, and, and let me just say, if you think this has something to do with giving to the garden, just I want to just tell you right now, I'm not asking you to give to the garden. Even if you call the garden home and you think this is a pastor's kind of plea to get money for the end year and budget, this has nothing to do with this. I, I, I've been realizing that um, I don't like talking about money. I don't like talking about finances, and, and I've struggled with generosity lately for lots of reasons, and I think it's because God's doing something in my heart, um, but I, I, I was praying last night, and I was praying this morning, and I just was like, what if we could just, what if we actually believe this? What if we actually believe that the way of Jesus is the best way to live as followers of Jesus? What if we actually said, yeah, I'll trust that, and then we actually redesigned and reorganized our lives around that belief? What if it was more, what if we didn't have this cultural Christianity that had Santa Claus as the alternative story to Christmas, which is, in case you were wondering, Christmas is to celebrate the birth of Jesus, in case you were wondering. I know it's, 
So I had to tell my son, actually, this is the real Christmas story. (laughs) But what if we were to challenge, or what if we didn't have the culture like as the default setting we lived in. And what if we just said, okay, this is true. And we tried, we just tried to say, Holy Spirit, would you empower me, empower us to to live this other way? What would look different about our lives? And I guess I'm 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 just bringing to you this current conversation with my wife, with my friends, um, with Jesus. And I wanted to bring you into some things that I've been looking at. And and I, I... it has to do with culture. It has to do with our politics. It has to do with our, our view of the thing, the thing that's shaping us more than anything else, and it's capitalism and consumerism. But let me just get, I'm just going to come from the scripture and let you decide. Does that sound good? Okay, you guys are doing great right here. <laughs> Jesus talks more about money than any other subject in the New Testament other than the kingdom of God. So this is number two. Money is talked about three times more than love, seven times more than prayer. It consists of 15% of the entire Old and New Testament, the Bible. 450 separate passages talk about money, and there are 220 references specifically about money and possession. So over and over again, the Bible makes it clear, and I want to make one point today, and it's simply this, that your spiritual life is directly connected to how you manage your money and possessions. Your spiritual life is directly connected to how you manage your money and possessions. And I just want to make three cases or show you three um, sections of Scripture and talk about the implications of this point, that your spiritual life is directly connected to how you manage or steward your money and possessions. So can we pray? Because I already know it's uncomfortable. Um, And I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And I, I love what Francis said last week. Like, I can't convince you of this stuff. And actually, this has been a struggle. I've been walking with some people that are going through a hard season, and they've been in our church for a while. And Alex and I have been wrestling. We're like, man, they've been with us for a long time, and they're at this place where it's just contested, and it's struggling. And I'm like, is this thing, the garden, is this church of Jesus, is it real or not? Like, are we just creating this system that's just going to produce lukewarm disciples that end up falling out of their faith? Or is, is there going to be long-lasting transformation over a lifetime for the rest of eternity? And if we're doing things that don't create, then let, create that, let's stop doing it. Let's stop perpetuating a system that's not going to create the outcome we want, which is disciples of Jesus. And so I want to pray, Jesus, would you just do what you want to do and just remind it again that in the Old Testament, you spoke through a donkey. So Lord, would you speak through me? Just unlock our hearts to, to actually, to follow you to really follow you, to not, to not just say, yeah, I believe it's an idea about you. But Lord, allow our lives to be transformed. And I know that it's gonna come through your spirit to do it. So Holy Spirit, release in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the point I have is your spiritual life is directly connected to how you manage your money and possessions. So I'm gonna talk about three different scriptures, but one uh, I wanna show you, Subpoint would be God's blessing in your life is connected to how you deal with those in your midst who have needs. So all over the Old Testament, we see this and in the New Testament. But I want to share this scripture because it's so important. 
um, for how we manage our finances and our resources, how we steward all of our energies and our capital, but also how we interact with the world around us, how we make policies, how we vote, how we treat people that are in our city, in our communities. This, the scripture should, should frame all of those things. Okay, are you with me? We should have a biblical worldview. We shouldn't look at the world and decide how to read scripture. We should look at the scripture and then decide how we interact in the world. So Deuteronomy, which is one of the first five books in the Old Testament, um, chapter 24, there's this passage um, that's speaking to the people of God. And it says this, verse 17, this is, um, Moses writes this before, this is so interesting. The Deuteronomy is written right before the people of God enter into the promised land. So right before they enter into a season or a space of abundance and provision. This is like a book. Hey, remember these things because when you go and have your own land, when you make enough money, when you get the job of your dreams, when you have some money to store up for yourselves, let's remind ourselves that we were dependent in the wilderness for all things from Yahweh. So when you go and receive abundance, Make sure you remember these things. And here's one of those provisional statements he says in verse 17 of chapter 24. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. Remember, you were once slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Let's say that, say that together. This is a triad. This is used all throughout the Old Testament as those who, have, those who are powerless, without position, without status, the weak, the vulnerable in a community. Can we say that? Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow so that the, now you can stop. I'll tell you when to go again. So that the Lord your, your God, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Blessing connected to what you do with the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave them for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. You're getting better. Um, when, you, when you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vineyard or the vines again. Leave the remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. So when you receive the land that was promised from God, and you have enough, you have a field, you have an olive tree, when you can no longer wander around and you can plant fruit that you get to in, uh, receive harvest from, when you gather the grapes, when you beat the tree, when you go over your field and you see some that you missed, don't go back the second time. I'm gonna use that to care for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, the immigrant, the orphan, and the single moms. Notice the reasoning, and you get this all throughout the Old Testament. God says, why? This is why you do this. Because you were once powerless. You were once without land. You were once without a job. You were once without the home. You didn't have the resources to provide for your family or yourself. You were once in need and I came and I rescued you. You were once slaves and I set you free. So the why is you can relate. So have some empathy. And the empathy or the compassionate worldview is just to share 
with those that don't have enough. In other words, you received grace. So therefore, be gracious. All of life is a gift. Therefore, you are not owners. You are managers of someone else's stuff. How are we doing? Wait, let me say that again. All of life is a gift. Everything you have has been received. I know you worked hard, but did you have a physical strength in your body to do it? Did you have lungs in your eh, lungs? Yes. Did you have air in your lungs? Did you have a car to get to the job? Did you get an interview? Did you sleep in a bed before the interview? There's so many things we have to recognize that are a gift from God that we take for granted and all of life is a gift. And you think I have a really hard life. I barely have any of the things you're talking about. Did you breathe today? Say thank you. Are you here in Southern California where it's not snowing in December and I was running on Thursday in a tank top? Thank you, Jesus. Hashtag so blessed. Whatever God has extended to you, make sure you extend that to other people. This is what the Old Testament is getting at. What it teaches is God's blessing in my life is intimately connected to how I deal with those in my midst who don't have enough. So when it comes to all of my life, I have to see myself as a manager or a steward, not as an owner. And my job is to use what's in front of me, the skills, the resources, the relationships, the social capital, the intellect, all the things that make up Darren and steward my life as a gift on behalf of the owner who is God because I'm his image and I've been made in his likeness and I, he's, been given, he's given me talents, I think maybe one or half a talent and I need to make that back for him. Not because I earn favor, but because I already am favored. Not because it gives me a better position in the age to come. No, because that's what it means to be positioned in the age to come. How are we doing? Yeah, uh, yeah okay, good. I'm going to take it. It's like that moment where I'm like, whoa, God, you really did want to speak today. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to. I'm just enjoying it. You see, like, there's a lie. We, we, there's, here's the lie. I'm going to let you in on a secret. Here's a secret. Ready? We always think, and this is what culture has ingrained in us. This is what we think. That will do what, you're, what I'm talking about. This idea of like sharing, generosity, giving, and extending. We will do that once we get there. Like once we, whatever there is in your mind, once we get there, then we'll give right? So once, once I finish my schoolwork and I have the job, then I will be generous because right now I don't have enough to be generous. And that's a lie because you have time. You have relationships. You have, even if it's limited, resources that you can extend and share to whatever capacity you have access to. And most of us don't think we have capacity because we're living in the cultural narrative that more is better and that you don't have enough because culture, our culture is built on scarcity. But the kingdom, God's economy is built on abundance. When you wake up in the morning, there's more than enough to go around because we're part of his 
body. And we have access to one another, and therefore we have access to unlimited resources through the power of the Holy Spirit. So these are things that we have to process and recognize that eventually when you wake up and realize that owning a home doesn't mean anything. Can I, wow, that got quiet. Can I just say this real quick? <laughs> I, I bought a house, and it didn't bring anything. No sense of rootedness. That's a lie. Oh, if I own, then I'll feel rooted. No, that's a lie. Rooted is the, the way you interact in the world. Are you building relationships with the people that you're renting next to? Oh, I'll be, I'll be a redemptive presence once I own. That's, that's not true. <laughs> it's a lie. It's a lie. It's culture. I'll feel more secure when I don't know if rent's going to go up. You will never not know. The roof might need to be replaced. You'll be looking at magazines all your life and realize that discontentment, you want to redesign your bathroom because you don't like the tile that was there before you. That's what happens. And it floods your mind like a host once I redesign my whole backyard. No, you won't. If you're not hosting in the little space you have, you won't when you have enough. It's a lie. And this is destroying the church. Hospitality. Do you know it's commanded that Christians are to be hospitable? To love strangers? Let me say that again. The definition of hospitality, the command, is to be a lover of stranger things. I made up stranger things, actually. But obviously we love stranger things. But anyways, that's, a, that's beyond the point. We love strange things. We love the stranger. We embrace them. We make space for them because this is how it worked throughout the first century. Christians would come and they'd have no place to stay. So we open our homes, we share our food and we don't just, we don't entertain them. We let them have access to our house as if it was their own. Wow, quiet. I'm preaching to myself. We love our convenience. We love our movie nights in rather than hosting our friends who need someone to just know that they're loved because we were once the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. So your perspective is everything. And as long as your perspective, as long as your perspective is everyone else around you, you'll never embody the things of scripture and what Jesus is inviting you. As long as you're comparing yourself to the Joneses or trying to keep up with the Kardashians, Lord Jesus, help us. <laughs> as long as your media intake, more so than the scripture, is Instagram, uh, Pinterest. Pinterest is literally the father of discontentment. I would say the father of lies, but that's been taken by the devil. So it's just his website. <laughs> Your spirits, I'm going to pause. I got a couple more points. Your spirit, I, no, I should stay here for a second. Like, I, I just think if we were to be honest with the amount of influence we let into our minds, Paul says, take your thoughts captive. 
Think of all the influence. Your explore page on your Instagram is curated to create discontentment and cause you to consume. It is. Just every single click you take, every single click you make is... (laughs) Every... Something like that. Every time you click on an app, every time you click on an image, it's calculating. There's, it's creating, it's curating an, a, an artificial intelligence algorithm that will feed you into a loop of discontentment and, and feedback. Do you, I mean, this is, a fa- New York Times just came out with an article about Facebook, about what they're capable of doing in a, a couple of clicks and likes on Facebook. They can determine how you'll vote your gender, stare, like your gender, your sexual preference based on your likes. I mean, they are genius. Now imagine the enemy in your life. He's not artificial. He is curating your life to be anything other than Jesus. Okay, let's keep going. Second point. Remember, your spiritual life is directly connected to how you manage your money and possessions. And this is per- perhaps the passage of Scripture that was stirring as I was preparing for Advent. Advent is this season of slowing down and waiting on, on the Lord for his arrival. And think about what it's like if you've ever had a kid or if you've ever had a family member that has a child or a friend, there's a lot of preparation that goes into having a child. Like it's, it's 10 months of pregnancy and in that time, the woman's body completely changes and produces double the amount of blood and it creates a, a human soul in her, I mean, every time Alex, I remember I would complain about all the work I was doing around the house. And she's like, well, I'm making a human right now. I'm sorry. I didn't do the dishes. Like, I'm like, no, that's cool, babe. That's cool. Like, I'm going to shut up, you know? But then like you, you literally change your entire house. You learn a new language. You read all sorts of books. There's so your pattern of sleep, everything changes when you have kids. And as we prepare for the Messiah in our life, it's a time where the church is designed, it's in the church calendar, in the tradition, it's to slow down our lives to prepare for the arrival of the Messiah. And this passage in Luke, it it just hit me because I I know the, the story of the Bible and there's this passage in Luke chapter three and it's about John the Baptist. And, and this is what's so significant. So John the Baptist is this long-awaited prophet. So if you follow the, the Old Testament, there's, there's a season where the, um, the people of God were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. For 400 years, they cry out to God. And God sends this messenger, Moses, and liberates them and brings freedom and redemption and healing. And then um, you see the rest of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament ends in Malachi. And it's this promise that there's a Messiah coming. But before the Messiah, there's going to be this messenger. And he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And then there's 400 years of silence. And then we read that there is the messenger. He's arrived, John the Baptist, and he's got, he's wild, and you, it's exactly what you would expect. He's like this thunder in the desert. He's actually living in the desert. He's taking a Nazarite vow of purity and holiness, and he's living off the wild, and he's, he's got this, this people are coming from all over Jerusalem and all over Judea and uh, throughout the, the, the empire to, to see this man who's a prophet. He's waking them up, and then there's this, you get in, in Luke chapter 3, this message and, and the first part, you're like, yes, this is what you want. He's preparing the way. Check it out. Verse seven. 
John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. This is how I see it. This is how I read it. Okay, so I'm just going to read how I was reading it in my devotion this week. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? (laughs) Right? It's like, yes. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you out of these little rocks, God can make, God can raise up children of Abraham. He says, the ax has been laid to the root of the trees. He's like, just that image, like here's the tree and every tree that does not produce, produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. <laughs> John the Baptist. Oh, it's so good. You're like, okay, this, yes, yes. How do we prepare? This is what's it. Well, then what should we do? We're they, we're, we want to be ready for God. I don't want to get chopped down. This is so funny. And so John answers, ready? This, get ready, 400 years of silence, the prophet in the wilderness, the ax is at the root. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Oh, come on. That's not fair. Like, give me something spiritual, right? Like, let me fast for 40 days. I don't want to share my food or share my clothes. I bought this on sale. And it popped up on my feed. I couldn't help it. It's like it knows me. Even tax collectors, the worst sinners, the worst of the worst of the world, the people conspiring with Rome, they were hated and despised. They come to John the Baptist, verse 13. And they say, teacher, what should we do? Verse 13, hey, don't collect any more than you are required to. Okay, and then soldiers, like the Romans, are coming. Like the, they're further away from tax collectors. They are killing people. What should we do? Don't extort money. And don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Okay. We're just, we're trying to get ready for the coming wrath. And you just gave us this crazy image of this ax being at the base of our tree. And we're going to be thrown into fire. And the way we prepare for the coming Messiah is to share and be generous, to be honest and be content. You hear that? How do we prepare for the coming Messiah? Be generous, be honest, and be content. Because your spiritual life is directly connected to how you manage your money and possessions. And I would even say John teaches us, John the Baptist, repentance is connected to your money and possessions. I would way rather my spiritual life to be separated from my material life, wouldn't you? And this is what we do. I would rather give Jesus my prayer life than my sexuality. I would way rather give Jesus my five-minute devotion through, you know, some type of easy reading devotional life than to have him oversee my time and my possessions and my wallet and my bank accounts. But that's not what he comes to do. He shows us what repentance looks like, and repentance looks like everything. It looks like 
rearranging our lives around the way of Jesus. Repentance means to change one's mind or to change one's direction. And in the Old Testament and New Testament, it's about aligning your heart to God's way of life. It's about reconstructing your life around good news, around the truth of Jesus, that the kingdom is broken in and he is Lord. Therefore, everything else around your life has to shift and change. Your relationships, your finances, your time, your resources, your energies, your talents, your intellects, your passions, your hobbies, your dreams. How are we doing? Should I do one more? So the last one under this, your spiritual life is directly connected to how you manage your money and possessions is that Jesus actually has competition and he names his competition. So if you have a Bible, this is a familiar passage, Matthew chapter six. I, I just wanna go there and then, and then we'll land and we'll pray and we'll see what Jesus wants to do. So verse 19, he's in the Sermon on the Mount and this is a moment where he begins to shift. He says in verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And skip to verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Now, here's the thing. As humans, we treasure things, to use this language of Jesus, to treasure things. We, some things in our life are worth more than other things. They have more value to us than other things. And this is what Jesus is saying, that as humans, it's natural to value things, to treasure things, to to place um, worth and significance on certain things. And all of us as humans spend energy, time, focus, mental space, emotional capacity on the things that we value and treasure. And what Jesus is saying, he's not saying don't treasure things. He's saying, no, treasure the right things. Treasure the things that will last for eternity. What will, <clears throat> he's saying invest in what matters most. Spend your energies on earth, earth on things that will last forever. Not on things that will go out of style. Not on things that will end up decaying. Not on things that lose its value. Instead, treasure things on earth in ways that go on for eternity. It's not that you're storing up earthly treasures is wrong. He's saying it's stupid. It's dumb. We do, most of us try to do things, I'm going to rephrase that. Most of us try to, to live to our best ability based on what we know. We try our very, I think, I, I like to believe we try our best. And what Jesus is saying is actually, um, culture will have you think that the world is worth something. The things of the world are worth something, but the that's not true. What's, what matters most are things that will last for eternity. So organize your value system, the center of your will, your heart, the center of your will and life, the, the center of it. Organize, around, organize that, that area of your life and the things in your life around the things that matter most, around the things that actually have value, eternal value. So when you live your life, Put eternity in perspective because your life will go on for millions and millions and millions of years. And with that view in mind, make investments today that will continue on in the age to come. The car will eventually not get you from here to there. 
So what it looks like and how much it, you know, how, how you know, this is more economic because it has better gas mileage. It's a $135,000 car. Whatever. I'm not, I'm not against nice things. I just think we need to have eternity in our mind. I, I think that might have come off wrong. I think we need to have perspective. At some point, we've bought into this perspective of nice things because our friends have these things. And in the church, we need to go on a downward mobility to say, actually, the first priority is making sure everyone here has enough. Yes, we can buy cars. Yes, we can buy nice cars if we have resources. Yes, we can buy TVs and own uh, multiple homes. We can do all those things. Jesus is not against you making lots of money. In fact, last week, two weeks ago, I prayed this prayer. You ready for it? And I'm still discerning whether or not it was an honest prayer to God or what it was based on. It might be based in pride. But I said, Lord, make me a millionaire so I can show millionaires how to spend their money. And I told Francis this, and Francis told me that's exactly what I prayed before I became a millionaire. And Francis lives off of less than 10% of his income. Reverse tither. Do you know that? Because he's got like best-selling books and all sorts of crazy stuff like that. But that's why this was crowded last week. (laughs) Apparently, a lot of people know Francis. Didn't realize that. No. I'll stop. I'm not worried about that. In fact, that's what God's killing I, 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 yeah, I want to let you know, like I've traveled a ton this last year and I feel like God say, I want you to not travel as much this year. Like be grounded and be a local pastor for another year. Like be, I'm not leaving, but be here for a year and don't travel. Don't have your mind on outside things. Have it right here, which is so counterculture because everyone's like, no, get spread the influence. God's given you a platform, build your, build your followership. And it's like, no, actually go into the desert. And be with Jesus and live life with this local community because that's where the money is. And I believe it. That's where it matters. This is meaningful community. And we have a culture of celebrity pastors, and Francis is not one of them. He's opted out, where they just go off onto the track to the conference world, to the million-dollar book deals, and, and they just live up here, and they're telling stories from 15 years ago. And I want stories from last week. And that's what the, new, that's what the next generation church needs are pastors who are committed to the local thing and know that this is where it all counts. It can't be accounted one time. It has to be fresh. That's what I'm going through. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So there's a strange mystical connection to, that we have to our stuff because material possessions and money, they provide things that God provides, comfort, security, happiness, joy, status, meaning, purpose, and identity. But what happens is we come into relationship with Jesus and he changes our relationship to money and possessions. At least that's what should happen. What should happen as we become disciples of Jesus is we come into relationship to Jesus and this relationship changes everything, changes everything. Like when you have a kid. For those of us that have had a kid, it, it change, like, it, or you've, you've had a friend who all of a sudden gets a girlfriend and then he gets married and you're the single guy and you realize they don't have any time for you anymore, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's like you lose your friends because that covenanted relationship should change everything about that person's life. Now, I'm not saying they should have just, you know, left you alone. There's some pain you might need to work out. 
But same with the kid, like your, your house changes, your budget changes, your sleep changes, your eating habits changes, your vocabulary changes. How, how you, I watched this great, <laughs> this, this stand-up comedian who was saying, when you become a parent, things that you didn't know were things become a thing. And his example was like, example, leaving the house. And this is what he said. He goes, for those of you that don't have kids, if you want to leave the house, it looks like this. I think we should go outside. Let's go. Right? Isn't that it? If you have kids, it's like, Ezra, get your shoes on. Where are your shoes? I don't know. Ezra, come on. We're going. We're leaving. And you're bargaining. And they're crying. And they're, they don't know where their jacket is. And they had it on and they took it off. It's absolutely chaos. Don't forget the snacks. Don't forget the extra diapers. Don't forget to put the stroller back in, the water and the smoothie cup. It's exhausting. Don't forget to buckle. And you have to put it right in the right spot. But he wants it lower because it bothers him. And it's a struggle to get it where it counts. Some of you take a drive, and you just drive, <laughs> and you put on a podcast and listen to it uninterrupted. I was driving back from Bakersfield last night from my brother's house. I wanted to listen to a podcast, and Alex goes, Amos is screaming. There's a song that he'll like. Okay, go ahead, put it on. I'm thinking, Lord Jesus, give me like Coldplay, give me like Mumford and Sons, new album, like some wheels on the bus go round and round, round. It's, that's what happens. And you accommodate because you're a father or a mother. Brothers and sisters, you're disciples of Jesus. Everything needs to change. And he wants to reorient and reconstruct your life around his relationship with you. It's not a religious system. It's not a, 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 la a spiritual ladder, a, a bunch of to-dos. And it's not law. It's a relationship to God. And each of us are on our own journey with Jesus together. And as we take steps forward, he will just keep moving us closer and closer to who we were designed to be in the first place which will look more and more like Jesus. And money and possessions are so important because this is how we organize our life. And I wonder, I want to ask you this question. This is probably the most helpful question for Alex and I as we discern what we do with our stuff. Do you own your stuff or does your stuff own you? Just ask it in your entire life, everything you have. Do you own it or does it own you? And just allow that idea to go into your head and your thought process and your emotions and then begin to think about what it means to be generous, to be content, to be honest, to share with those who have needs among you and in your midst. And ask yourself, does it own you or do you own it? Example, we hosted Safe Families a couple years ago and there's a girl who came into Alex's closet and was like, jackpot! And she wanted to play dress up and she plays dress up and puts on these new suede tan booties. That's what they're called, they're called booties. Um, they're not boots, they're not shoes, they're booties, they're technical. And Alex has a ton of shoes um, more than I prefer, because I prefer minimalism. I've got like five, including running shoes and dress shoes, and she has a lot more than that. So, um, and it's, she's on her own spiritual journey. Not that mine's better. <laughs> not, not judging her. But it is funny that they need a dress for every occasion, and I've had the same suit for 10 years. Anyone else notice this? Careful. <laughs> 
<laughs> touche, touche. Yeah, that's good. Just keep it in. That was maybe Jesus. Definitely not. That was me. Okay, so she puts on the tan boots and she's like, hey, it's booties. And she's like, hey, can I take these to school tomorrow? She's got like 40 plus pairs of all sorts of different, different words for shoes. You know what I'm talking about, okay? I don't know all of the names. Like, yeah, anyways. And, and she's like, well, let me think about it. And that's when we realized, like she realized, she was processing this. Well, they're new. I like them. I've worn them once in eight months. Lots of shoes. And she eventually said yes. And why? Because she was processing this idea. Does she own it or do they own her? And if she, if she could extend what's been given to her to others, knowing that it will cost her something, some scuff marks on the tan suede booties. But it would be making, it was actually her birthday. So it made that girl's birthday dress up reality as she was staying in her home because her, she was in a crisis with her own foster mother at the time. So that was an example. But think about our cars, think about our homes, think about our rooms, think about who comes over, think about how we host, think about all the extra phones we have, technology, all the extra clothes we have, all the extra stuff we possess. Does it own you or do you own it? And just go down the list. So what we've done in Western Christianity is compartmentalized our spiritual life from the rest of our life. Just give Jesus a percentage. Just give Jesus your Sunday morning. Just give Jesus your prayer life. But Jesus wants your whole thing. <laughs> he wants all the things. Because you are a soul. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. You are a holistic, integrated system of physical, emotional, relational, mental, and spiritual connect, uh, capacities that are all connected together. And your spiritual life is directly connected to how you manage money. God's not against you making lots of money. That's not what I'm saying. God's not saying make a lot of money and give it all away. He's against money being your God. And he wants to redefine your relationship with money through his relationship with you. And the truth is Jesus talks about money more than anything else other than the kingdom of God because of this fact. God doesn't want your money. He wants your freedom. And if you don't recognize that your spiritual life is directly connected to how you manage your money and possessions, then you won't recognize whether or not you're free. And what I want for our church is freedom. What I want for our city is an awakening. And if we are held captive by money and possessions, then we won't see the awakening we want to see in our city because revival is connected to generosity. And your life needs to be free. And so uh, the question I leave you is, how do you align your money and possessions to the kingdom of God? Remind you that you're a manager, not an owner. It's all his. So be generous in the season. Be honest in the season. Be content in the season. Use money on things that are more valuable than possessions. Spend less than you make and avoid debt. These are all practical things. Easier said than done. I understand. But we should spend less than what we make and we should avoid debt at all costs. Um, give more than feels comfortable and give regularly. And the more you make, the more you give. Consistent giving is the gateway to greater generosity. And I leave you with this to just process as you step into this next year, what does it look like for you in this season to be a follower of Jesus? 
Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.